wonderful to be with you. Um, I think we, we're, gonna, we're still trying to do a good job of being able to do this stream easily for people. Welcome if you're joining us on stream. Uh, we do have roving mics, so I, I will repeat what you say. But uh, Keith and I think Melanie also have mics on this side, so if you start talking, they'll bring you the mic. Um, and don't, don't let that shy you away from, from talking. I'm also kind of thinking, Mark did such a good job of just doing a simple version of Zoom on Wednesday night without trying to do all the fancy other stuff. I'm thinking in the future what we'll try to do is we'll, we'll still stream for people that just want to stream in, but for those that want to talk, it's just so good to, to be able to connect with them. I may put up on the iPad that we can't seem to ever get work when we need it, um, like a Zoom there so I can interact with people there. So we're, gonna, we're still experimenting. Good night. We're, what, nine months into this, and we're still experimenting, but uh, do the best we can. Um, uh, Kimbler, do you mind praying for us since you got the mic there? Do you mind just opening us in prayer? It would be wonderful. Um, and then we'll dive in. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for grace, favor, and mercy. Thank you for us coming, being able to come together and worship you and not being in fear. Thank you for the military that protects us and all that you do, God. Uh, please be with uh, Dean as he delivers your word. May he uh, use look to you for discernment and guidance in all he says and does. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Kim. Well, this is kind of funny to me that I, I intended to do like a little mini-series here on the character we're looking at and had four or five of them laid out. Then I got COVID. We lost two weeks that way. Then we had the guest speaker last week. So we get a one-week series. <laughs> this is the way it's going to look. Uh, I may do a little snippet um, over our break time of, of, a, of a couple of thoughts that would have been other classes and maybe put them out to the class on video or something like that. So that's, I'm just thinking about that. But you know how plans end up working or not working. So I'm, I'm not quite promising that, but that's my goal. We'll, we'll think about that. So this is the one-week one series. <laughs> Um, here's the way I want to start. I want you to think about this, uh, especially when you, were, when you were younger in your formative years. Who is someone that represented strength to you? Who was like an icon of strength in your life? It might have been your, your dad. Everybody kind of sometimes sees their dad as these towering figures. Sometimes could have been a coach, could have been a teacher, somebody in your life. I want you to think about that for a moment, and then I'll, I'll talk about in, in a lot of our experience what ends up being kind of a, a earth-shaking kind of time in some season of our life with respect to that person. All right, so here, here's the person that came to my mind as I was thinking through this. Uh, I remember um, one of our teachers, Mr. Cloyd, in high school, and, and he was in every way a towering figure to all of us. We looked up to him, again, in every way. I think he was six foot eight, something like that. Uh, the rumor was, at least, that at some point in time, he had played in some, at least, connection to the Boston Celtics, never quite made it there, but you know, especially when we were kids, that was a really big deal for someone like that. Um, he was a coach of the basketball team, surprise, surprise. Uh, and what I'll never forget is he would pull in, so picture this guy, he was younger, he's one of the youngest teachers, so he was cool, he was big, he was fun, and then he would pull in every day at school in this candy apple red Chevy uh, Corvette. And just to see, if you've ever seen a Corvette, like two-seater, right? To see a six-foot-eight guy climb out of that car was always a spectacle in and of itself. Uh, again, great guy, great English teacher, great coach. We all looked up to him, had a lot of fun. And, and so here's, here's the thing I want you to think about. Whoever your person of strength is, 
it is always like a world-shaking time when the person who is an icon of strength to you in some way exhibits weakness and struggles or fails or hurts or whatever. And so it, it was a big, big day. And big, it's still kind of traumatic to us that we're in high school at that time when, when uh, Mr. Cloyd was out playing just a pickup game of basketball and collapsed on the floor with a heart attack, battled a heart attack at that time in his life. And it's like, this is, this is the guy who's young. This is not the one that you would expect. This is the, t- the guy who played basketball. Like, he's not the one that's supposed to fall and struggle, right? And I don't know if you've had those experiences, whether it's a, it's a mental failure or a moral failure or a physical failure. Someone, you know, a lot of us have gotten to the stage where those that we looked up to is really strong and then you care for them later in life, right? What is it like? How earth-shaking is it when that person who is an icon of strength ends up being someone whose weakness is exposed in some way, right? So I think about that, and if you, were, if you would walk around in the first century in Jesus' day and talk to a typical Jewish person at that time who really knew what was going on among the people of God, one person that they would say again and again is an icon of strength is John the Baptist. And I want us to think about this guy a little bit because, again, in Jewish day, if you read carefully through the Gospels and early Scripture, one of the things you see is that John was such a respected icon of strength that people continued to struggle with the idea that maybe he really was the guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was the, not just the one announcing the guy, the Christ, he was actually the guy. And so in every Gospel account, there is much made of the struggle of early followers of Israel and Jesus, I mean, of God, to know who this guy really was, right? Icon of strength. Here's the other thing, the reason I go to him and wanted to do kind of a series on this guy, but we'll at least look at this text, is for at least 16, 1700 years, the church has recognized John as a model character of the season we find ourselves in. We find ourselves in the season of Advent. Uh, again, if we've done this one form or another for years, if you still have some, like, what is this Advent stuff? I literally um, wrote an article about that that's in the e-blast. So go back and look at the e-blast. This is what this whole Advent thing is about, and even what the wreath is and all that. But, but here's a simple way to think about it. The people of God for centuries have thought it meaningful to practice expect, expectation and hope. That's, that's all Advent. We're expecting God to show up. Miss Barbara said it beautifully today. All the word Advent means is a fancy Latin word for a word that we say all the time, which is coming, arrival, showing up. So here's a simple thing to think about. We worship a God who shows up. And Advent is a season where we call to mind that we worship a God who shows up and we're expecting him and we're hoping for him. And the beautiful thing about Advent, we think sometimes it's about preparing to celebrate his first Advent showing up in Christmas. We are. But a huge theme of Advent is that we are also practicing expectation and hope for his second Advent. The one who came still comes and he's going to show up. And there's going to be this incredible thing that will happen when God splits the skies and makes the world right. And as we talked a lot about, beautifully, Nikki pointed out today, there is a posture of the people of God worshiping, seeking him and abiding in him that is what it looks like when you practice expectation and hope for the second advent. Does it make sense? All right. So, again, all that to say, for centuries, the church said, do you know what it wants, do you, do you want to know what it looks like to have the advent posture? 
to have a posture that we expect God to show up and do incredible things. If you want to know what that looks like, the church has said, look at two people in particular. One will focus on the other. We won't at, at this time, but maybe at a later time. Mary and John. Okay, cool. Uh, and one more thing. Can you, can you download YouTube and get us on there? See, here's what I want to do is have this side, and if people are asking questions, I can just look at it. So download YouTube for me and get us on our stream, but silent, mute it. Thank you. This is on the fly right here, right? All right. So John the Baptist is a picture of what it looks like. Now, remember, he's been an icon of strength. Now, I, I do all that to say, here's my favorite story of John the Baptist. So we had four or five of them, so I picked my favorite because we got one. My favorite story of the John the Baptist, because it isn't his moment of greatest strength. It is a moment where this icon of strength seems to, Jesus' words, stumble just a little bit. So if you have your text, or your phones or whatever, look in John, John, Luke chapter 7, verse 18. Luke 7, verse 18. And I'll read the, the whole section. It's kind of a chunk, and then we'll, we'll get as far as we get. Anything else, we'll, we'll put on a video or something like that. So Luke 7, verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things. These things, Jesus has been preaching, doing miracles, pretty incredible things. We'll talk more about it. He's been doing all these things and calling two of them, John the Baptist sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, would you go out to see a man dressed in fine clothes? Oh no, if you knew John. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Book of Malachi, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least, and the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they'd not been baptized by John. And Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marking place, calling out to each other, we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a funeral dirge, and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and you say here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Packed passage, you probably won't get to everything here, but let's zero in on that first part. And again, we'll, we'll throw this out. What do, you, what do you notice here? And I, I will share with you. What do we learn about this character named John from where he is in the story. Verse 18, John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? 
When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, gave sight to many who were blind, and then he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What do you notice in that first section? Anything at all? And just talk, and then somebody will bring a mic to you and keep talking, or, and I'll repeat it to you. What, do you. what do you notice about John here? What's interesting about John here? I find it actually strange in light of things that are going on. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But anything you notice? Yeah, Kevin. John doubted a little bit. Well, yeah, just plainly he doubted right there, which he would not explain because he asked his, you know, disciples to go and ask Jesus, you know, are you the one yeah. that was to come? Yes. Yeah, he's str- like this is a struggling moment. You see, to me, this is the kind of falling on the floor moment of the icon, right? Uh, he's doubting. He's wrestling with something here. Uh, by the way, let, let's kind of remind ourselves what's been going on, all right? So, First of all, what's been going on with Jesus? You might kind of look at your Bible, you know, kind of flip back in your Bible, look at the headings or whatever. Does anybody notice what literally just happened right before this? Can we see the little headings? Huh? Uh, feeding 5,000 has happened, yes. Immediately before this. Say it again. He raises somebody from the dead, right? So Jesus beautifully interrupts a funeral. A widow has lost her son, and you know the whole story behind all that. And, and so Jesus comes, interrupts the funeral, tells her don't cry. By the way, the, I say this every time I come to this story. The only time you tell somebody at a funeral not to cry is if you're going to raise the dead right then in front of your face. Right? Always appropriate to grieve and celebrate hope. But Jesus does it right here. He raises the dead. Before that, he does a miracle of healing. Before that, he's proclaiming kingdom. He's saying this God thing, the rule of God, my short form for kingdom, because we don't think about kings a whole lot when god makes the world the way god intended it to be so the kingdom in this moment this place this person jesus it is the way god intended it to be and kingdoms breaking out and jesus is announcing all that stuff and in that moment john says are you the one <laughs> it's kind of fun think about this it's a strange time to ask that question maybe i don't know maybe he's thinking that's what I'm hearing's going on. Maybe he's afraid of fake news, right? <laughs> Maybe somebody's saying this, but we've seen Jews get worked up before about things that aren't real. But here's the thing that's really interesting to me. What has happened in John's life up until this point? You can just throw it out and I'll repeat it. What has happened in John's life? I mean, from infancy to now, what has, what has John been doing? What has happened in his life? Anybody, anything come to your mind? Don't feel bad if you don't remember these stories, but some who do. What's happened in John's life? We'll just shout this one out. You don't have to run anywhere. Yeah, wait. Pointing the way to Jesus. By the way, every moment of his life. My other favorite story of John is John is living out his mission before he's born. Do you remember the story? In Luke chapter 1, before he's born, he's doing what he will do his every moment of his life. He's pointing to Jesus. You remember the story? His mom is six months pregnant. She walks into the room. Mary's what? A few months pregnant, right? And she walks in the room. And what does John the Baptist do in the womb? Does anyone remember this? What does he do? 
He leaps in the womb. By the way, there's Old Testament references and really cool stuff going on we don't have time to get to. But here's what I love. Before he's born, he's saying, there's Jesus. <laughs> right? By the way, quick sidetrack. This is a beautiful thing. My favorite, the, the description of John is that the Holy Spirit filled him even from the womb. That is my favorite prayer for a woman who's pregnant. Holy Spirit, would you fill this child even from the Would you have this child living out his or her purpose even before she's born? Isn't that pretty cool? John the Baptist isn't even born yet. He's six months fetus, and he's saying there's Jesus. Uh, Luke 3. We'll just stay in Luke's gospel. Luke 3. They come up to him, and they say, Man, you're, you're preaching powerfully. You're baptizing Jewish people that nobody did. They baptized Gentiles, but they didn't baptize Jewish people. Are you the Christ? Does anybody remember what he said? He shouted out. What did he, he say? I am not the Christ. What did he say, David? I am not worthy to tie the man's shoes. Now think about this. This is why he's an icon of strength. In this moment, he had every opportunity to sign the book deal. <laughs> he could make the movie. He could post on Instagram. He could get 10 billion followers on social media. All he had to do was say, I'm the man. It's about me. And in the critical moment, John says, nope, it is not about me. He dances again and points to Jesus. Now, the big thing to me is, again, the strangeness of the timing of this question. Does anybody know where he is right now in the story? Where is he? Got some good Bible scholars, help us. He is in jail. Why? Go ahead, Kevin, you're cranking. Herod? Yep, he stole his brother's wife. Here's the way we say it today he had the guts to speak truth to power. He went to the king of that region, who is a Jew, who is supposed to be leading his people in the character, that's God's intent from Saul and David on, that the leader is not not perfect, but is intended to be modeling a character of justice and love and righteousness, and he had the guts to go to Herod and say, what you're doing isn't right. I remember hearing a, uh, a, a reading, a powerful description for i forget which which worker in the white house years ago somebody that worked on staff in the white house talked about what happened when you went in to try to speak truth to power in the oval office we all know this right the architecture of that room is designed to disarm you and he said and i quote i remember the quote from years ago he said and i quote the lions of the waiting room became the lambs of the oval office <laughs> something about sitting down face to face to power whoever sits there and people would wilt john the baptist did not he had the courage to speak truth to power it landed him in jail and he knows good and well what will probably happen and what we know happened to him after this he was executed for standing up for the ways of god now with jesus doing all this jesus stuff and john being this person now put it together what kevin said isn't it strange he says hold on hold on you the one <laughs> now he asks in jail are you the one yeah bring the mic over to, to um, Renee thank you so much Keith
Jesus, Mary's son, is the Christ. Yes. And so in this moment, and given that he was brave to speak up, I'm thinking that he's not asking Jesus, are you the Christ? Because he's been raised to know that. Right. Maybe he's asking, are you ready to reveal that you're the Christ? Kind of like Mary challenged Jesus. Right. In his first miracle, yeah, you is know, this the time? it's time for you to step up. Yeah. Maybe John's like, okay, are you ready to take the baton from me? Mm-hmm. I've been pointing that you're coming, that you're coming. Can I now say yeah. you're the one who has come? Yeah. So maybe he's possibly challenging Jesus a little bit to say, oh, well, like, okay, just, time for you to step out, Jesus. Are you the one? You know, right. are you going to be the one now? Mm-hmm. I've been told my whole life you're the one. So right. are you going to do that? Or yeah. do I just keep bellowing in the wilderness? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I've never, I've not heard that read. Here, here's what I would say. Augustine, Calvin, several other people are doing, I'm not picking on this, but all right, so let's, let's look at two models of responses. One, Kevin says, do this doubt and doubt and struggle. And the other is a little bit of effort on all of us, and you do a beautiful job of this, to almost try to rescue John a little bit here, right? Here's what I would say of the two. Um, thank no you. Promises are long. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. So now if you are, if you are uh, streaming in, uh, I'm going to kind of watch for your comments. So if you have a question or comment, I'll try to read it off here. I'll look over here every now and then. So here's, here's my thing. Like in church history, and even in, I, I resonate with that reading, but I also want to let the text push me a little bit, okay? So two things I would say. First of all, that's not what John says. He says, are you the one? Or, or should we expect someone else? By the way, um, this is the word Advent. So again, I said this before, let's not let that Latin word freak you out. Are you the one who was to come? That word, are you the one that's adventing? Are you the one that, that's God showing up in in the world? Or should we do what we do in Advent, wait for someone else? That's the question, number one. Number two, this section ends with Jesus saying, blessed is someone who does not stumble. I think John's stumbling a little bit. He doesn't fall, but he's stumbling a little bit. Why? Again, Augustine, Calvin, great people in the past don't want to make John doubt here because they want him to be a hero. Now, I just want to sit in this for a moment. Again, I cannot think of a bet. The church has said for centuries, these are great texts to read in Advent. I want to say this is a great text to read in COVID and 2020 and all the stuff that's going on. Because I just, I'm reflecting for a moment. Is it possible that when Augustine and Calvin want to rescue John and not make him a doubter, is, is the problem with John or is the problem with me? You know what I mean? When I come to Job and others that really wrestle with their faith, is, is it that I'm uncomfortable with them or is it I'm, I'm uncomfortable with my own struggle, right? So here's what I take it as. The, Jesus himself in the next section will say, this is the greatest dude that's ever been here before the kingdom comes. And the greatest guy, the strongest guy, the icon of strength, still doubts and struggles and asks questions. We've said it before. Nikki said it beautifully again today. Let me repeat it again in class. If you've come to the end of 2020 with all that's going on with COVID, with all that's going on in the country, with all that's going on in the world, with all that's going on in the transition of the church, and you're sad, and you struggle, and you're hurting, and you're grieving, and you're wondering, and you're doubting, join the crowd. Because the greatest before the kingdom of God, Jesus said, in his moment, still had the question, are you... Is it really true? I've spent my whole life doing this. I've been pointing to you the whole time. 
I just want to make sure. By the way, we say it's strange. I actually think it's not strange. Before I took a knife to the neck, I think I'd maybe check one more time. <laughs> Are you sure you're the guy? Because <laughs> I don't want to die in this jail cell for something that isn't true. Isn't that human? Isn't it great that the text of Scripture point out to us people who are great, who also are very, very, very real? So again, there may be other readings of it. I, I welcome those. But what resonates with me and historically in Advent is here's a guy who doesn't have it all together, and that's why we wait. That's why we struggle in between the Advents. God showed up powerfully and visibly in the child. God will show up and split the skies. But doesn't it feel in the 2020s of the world sometimes, where are you? I hear about all this great stuff, John says. But are you really here? One more thought. Um, by the way, you, you look like you're going to say something. Please, no, no, go, go, forget it. Up, yeah, thank you. You, no, don't worry, there's nothing to do. Um, I think it's interesting. It kind of goes along with the sermon we just had. I can say I'm a worshiper. It's no, am I acting out the act of worship? Who am I worshiping Ooh, by how, in I, the act, moment, how yeah. I act it out? And I think it's so interesting. That's how Jesus answered the question. Don't you see what I'm doing? Yes. And I think what he was trying to do is say, hey, the prophets told you this is what I would be doing. Yes. This is what I'm doing. Because others were saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Lots Messiah. Lots of people were claiming that, yeah. But he said, what am I doing? Because it's interesting, then he goes on to explain who John was. And he said, did you go out to see him doing this or that or look this way or look that way? Yeah. No, look what he did. Yes. He came as a prophet. Ooh. So anyway, I, I think it's neat that it, by your actions, you will know for sure. Yes, 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 yes. Exactly what, as a black suit, I was thinking, here's the thing that's interesting. So Nancy brought it out for us. I just wanted you to think about it this way. They come, by the way, the Bible repeats important things. So John says it, then John's disciples say, are you the one, are you the one? How did Jesus answer him? How did he answer him? You already said it, but I just want to put it front and center. you know his actions were proving as were prophesied yes. you know through the prophets yes uh, in isaiah 40 um but you know we see that all through the word you know just as the disciples i mean they spent years with our lord but yet when he was crucified they were all in the room scared yes you know but i think the one thing i want to take away from all these examples of where we doubted like with peter and and Thomas and, and the disciples and, and the people of the day is they didn't give up. And yes. just as Jesus in the garden, you know, Father, take this cup from me. You know, yes. is, you know I want to do your will, but it's not, I'm going to keep pressing on. Beautiful. Yes. So well said. So again, put these together. Let me ask it another way. What words did Jesus use to answer John's question? It's a trick question. What words did Jesus use to answer John's question? None. I, I think, by the way, this is a fun study of the Gospels to do sometime. Just go watch how Jesus answers questions. How he does it will teach us as much as anything else. We all know, subject of other texts, the number one way Jesus answers questions is with what? Other questions. 
Jesus works with us. He's not just giving us, you know, write it down and not be in a relationship. You got to be in a relationship with him. You got to abide with him like we heard this morning, right? That's number one way. Sometimes he will give these mystical, mythical, uh, not mythical, mystical, puzzling, um, troubling, riddle-like stories we call parables. We got to work on them a little bit. But here, no words. He gets to some words, but he does not answer. Can, can you picture this? They come up to Jesus. Are you the one? Are you the one? Says nothing. And then he goes, by the way, what specifically does he then come back and say? You saw, by the way, these are words, this is really important to Luke. Words of testimony and witness. Go back and report what you've seen and heard. That is the job of all followers of Jesus. See him and tell people what you see. You don't have to tell them what you don't know. You don't have to talk about what you don't know. You are a witness. You're not the judge. You don't tell the outcome. It's not your job for the outcome. Just tell what you've seen and heard. What specifically does Jesus say you just saw and heard? Look at this, really, really important. You guys have brought it out, but I want to put it front and center. What does he say they just saw and heard? Verse 20 or something like that. Call it out quick. Cure diseases, heal sicknesses, gave sight to the blind. I believe raise the dead was tucked in there too, wasn't it? Where have we heard this language before? By the way, if this is new to you, it's okay. That's why we do it in class. But I suspect some of you, and you pointed it out. Where have we heard this before? At least two places that I know. Prophets. Isaiah is packed with it. You reference Isaiah 40. This is, um, we'll, we'll see, some of this is a direct reference to Isaiah 61. One of the things that Isaiah the prophet does, but it's true in other prophets, but it's packed in Isaiah. When Messiah comes, when kingdom happens, when God's world looks like God's world's supposed to be, blind people see again, sick people get healed again, poor people get good news. So we hear it in the Old Testament. So part of what Jesus says is, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to do something. And when you see what's done, this is what was predicted. You know the prophets. Step into the prophecy. I'm going to enact prophetic word. But there's another very, very important place that we hear these exact words almost. Where? Yes. 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 Luke chapter 4, Jesus gives his opening sermon. All right? First sermon a, a, per, a preacher ever preached is going to be pretty important because it's going to lay out something of here's who I am. Luke chapter 4. He goes and does what the lectionary reading of the day was. He didn't pick the text. God did. And, and the church did over time. Synagogue did. Opens the text, reads Isaiah 61. And it says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's, he's Christed me. It's the word, what the word means, anointed. He Christed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery sight to the blind, um, freedom. This is an interesting one. Freedom. For the prisoners. The good news is going to be preached for. Um, then he goes and does it. So here's the cool thing. Jesus says, am I the one? I'm doing what the Old Testament prophet said. I'm also doing exactly what I said I was going to do. Now here's the one. Does anything, if you're John sitting in a jail cell, does anything jump out to you in Jesus' first sermon? Let me say it again. Preach recovery of sight for the blind. Good news is preached to the poor. Freedom. For the prisoners. Anything jump out at you? 
I don't know. This is just me thinking into this, but he heard the opening sermon. He knows the prophets. Maybe there's a part of him that's saying, where's that part for me? (laughs) I heard freedom for the prisoners. I'm in jail for my faith. Now, this is just kind of a little, what Jewish call midrash. I'm just going to rip on this for a little bit, but isn't the struggle, at least for me, on my doubts, not the advent of God, like God shows up. Jesus has been Jesusing all over this. He's been Christing all over this place. Is it possible that sometimes my doubts and struggles are not that God's not showing up? It's not that God, it's that God's not showing up the way I want him to for me. (laughs) See, if I'm John, I can totally proof text Jesus into getting me out of where I am. By the way, I've done it all 2020. Like I, all 2020, I can go grab a verse and I can claim right now it should happen and right now it should happen and this shouldn't happen. I can struggle sometimes because God's showing up. He's just not showing up the way I want him to or on my timetable or for me. I will tell you, you, you know, Melly and I went through COVID. Of course, David had no, no symptoms at all. He's the one that gave it to us. God bless him. <laughs> we had it horrible. Two weeks in, I had my worst fever. Two weeks, I had my worst fever and I started freaking out. And, but let me tell you, the worst part of COVID for me is expectation. Like, I've heard from everybody, even the folks that got it, but three or four days, it's gone. And so I literally, Melly knows, we laughed at this. Like, it was three or four days in. It was a beautiful day outside. I took my phone outside and talked to my mother for five or ten minutes. I'm like, I'm getting better. And then I went in and slept for five hours because <laughs> I wasn't better. <laughs> I just feel the Advent, part of what Advent teaches me and invites us to learn is to be willing to expect and hope that the God who showed up and the God who will show us up show up still shows up but it may not look exactly the way I want it to so God are you the is it really you and isn't it beautiful that Jesus doesn't chastise him he warns a little bit here but he doesn't throw John out. Boy, you blew it. Your whole life. You were great from the womb, but man, last moment you blew it. No, 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 no. Jesus invites the questions. Again, can I say as 2020 is wrapping up, if you got doubts and you got questions, you got struggles, bring them to Jesus. That is part of worship. Part of it. But part of what I'm doing in this time is saying, okay, can you check my own expectations in all of this? Because sometimes God's right in my face. But I'm not seeing him because I pulled out one little verse or one little thought or one little vision or one little expectation of the way he's supposed to be doing it. He doesn't meet it, and so Jesus didn't hear. Does that make sense? Just a thought on that. Um, how are we doing? Yeah. Somebody can say something? All right, let's... Uh, out of that, yes, go ahead. The humanness that... Say again? The humanness of John, of course, that shows us that no matter how much we think we are in such a close relationship with Jesus that we still in humanness have that limitation yeah. uh, that faith sure and in our humanness that says we don't get to be there and yeah. so even though we feel stuckness in that that we can be Yeah.
Absolutely. Yeah, we, that, that's part of why I don't want to beat John up or rescue him because we don't need to beat ourselves up on this. Again, we bring it to God like he wants us. He always wants to take us to a deeper relationship. They were cousins. They knew each other. They, they grew up together to some degree. They started ministry at the same time. And yet Jesus says there's always more to know about the God who shows up. And he invites us to another place. That's beautiful, isn't it? Right? Let's quickly look at the last part of it, bring out anything you see, and then and, um, sometime we'll, we'll see more with it. Verse 24, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Very common thing they would have seen in the desert time there. Something very weak and, and bending around? No. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces and throw people like this into jail. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Um, I'll just make a couple comments because we don't have time for a lot of this, but uh, then, uh, then talk about it. He's not just any prophet. He's the one the Old Testament ends with. Malachi 3 verse 1 says, there's going to be a prophet that comes, not just any other prophet. This is the way I like to think about him. You ever go to see a band perform? They don't just come out. What happens before the band comes up? You got an opening act, fires up the crowd, right? It's kind of a silly analogy, but it's literally what happens. John is the opening act for the real <laughs> perform with Jesus, right? So he comes, get, fires the crowd up, gets them laughing on Fallon or Len or whatever, and then, and then here comes the guy. So that's literally, here is a prophet that was predicted to come to usher the way into the one that's, that we're all looking for. And he says this interesting statement. I tell you, there, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people, even the tax collectors, just the average people, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they'd been baptized by John. The Pharisees and the experts of the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. And Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't cry. John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. He had the Nazarite vow. And you say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Any, any quick thoughts on, as he moves from this question to, he does, let's do an Advent reflection. What does it look like to be the expectant John? He talks about John and reflects on his generation. Anything that grabs you might be helpful for our time. Yeah, David. So a thought that kind of birthed in my mind from the last section, but even as you read this, it kind of solidified for me. But um, that, that idea of expectation, um, really solid in the mind of the Jews was this expectation of the year of Jubilee. Yes, yes, which every, he announced in the, every, in the sermon. Every seven years, and that, yep. that part of that, of the setting of the captives free, that's the only time that happened for the Jewish people. The year of Jubilee, the captives were set free, sins were, things were forgiven, debt yep. was forgiven. All of these things were forgiven and done away with. The slate was clean. And thinking about expectation and Advent and 
is he to come? When is he to come? And John's question, I just think in the Jewish mind, that whole thought process of looking to that, that, that year of Jubilee that comes when everything is made right again, yeah. in a sense, um, Jesus is that. And um, that's just a beautiful expectation. Uh, we don't have that Jubilee idea really in the forefront of our mind, but they did. I mean, yeah. that, was, that was a big thing. Right. For the Jews. Yes. Uh, that idea of Jubilee and everything being made clean and right. Well said. And, and I think, again, you don't have to buy into everything that, that all the churches have done for 100 years or whatever. So if Advent's not your thing, candle's not your thing, who cares? But the idea behind it, I invite us to really think about. Why is it that for 16, 1700 years, the church said, can we take four weeks to practice expectation? I think because of the very thing you said. Jewish people were, all you had to do was go and say, hey, I'm the king, I'm the Messiah. And people started getting fired up because they were expecting God to break into the world and make things right. We have a glorious expectation of it. It is the second advent. Jesus is coming back. He is going to come back. He's going to raise the dead. He's going to judge the world. Part of the confession of our faith, he will come back to judge the living and the dead. I've said this again and again and again. The judgment is not a bad thing. Jesus, judgment is redemptive. It, it is the refining fire of God. Why do we look forward to judgment? I, I think we grew up, at least for me, I grew up in such an individualistic, I'm doing things wrong all the time. I hear judgment and think I'm going to get a, a report card. No, God's coming back to set the world right again. And the people of God are at our best when we are living with a fervent expectation that no matter how bad the 2020s of the world are, God's showing up and he's going to fix this mess. So we don't just pine away, we jump in and fix it too. With the power of God's Holy Spirit, we start doing the things Jesus did. We bring healing, we bring life where there's death, we take care of people, we proclaim good news to the poor and the bereft, right? We do that because we are people of expectation. I think you're absolutely right. And Jesus is stirring that up some. There's the interesting thing, again, we're, we're running out of time. Just point out a couple things here. This whole thing about, I think it's so fascinating, that Jesus says, John was the greatest, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than here. What's he doing with all that? What does he mean? I think it's part, and I'd encourage you to go talk to Bill, because Bill's been studying this longer than I have. So I, I commend to you a book called Kingdom Come. What's his name again? I've got it written down. Um, who wrote it? Reggie McNeil, yes. Just started reading that. But the thesis of this book is just a great idea where he says, we get so discouraged sometimes. This is my paraphrase. Bill, correct me if I'm wrong. We get so discouraged sometimes. We look at church life and it's up and down, numbers are up and down because we're focused so much on church that we forget that church is about kingdom. Again, we don't use this language as much anymore. Like God has promised to show up, rule, reign, and set things right. And when I'm focused on God's kingdom, which is sure it is coming, has come, and will fully come when Jesus comes back, if I'm part of that, I don't get discouraged. I mean, I will, I'll bring my doubts, but Jesus is doing Jesus stuff. And the church can go up and down, but the church participates in kingdom life. Jesus says the least in the kingdom of God is greater than this rock star John. Because Jesus says the kingdom of God is when God actually shows up and it's not just the opening act. We get to be part of kingdom life. So I know it's hard, I know it's discouraging in 2020, but also let's open our eyes because I believe Jesus isn't just talking, he's acting right now. 
He's raising the dead right now. I can point out people whose lives were dead, including mine, and have come back to life again. I can point out to people who could not see the power and the wonder of God in their life, and he opened their eyes. We all can go and say, hey, let me testify. What, you know what I'm saying? The least in the kingdom is greater than those who we're just looking forward to. Last thing I'll say. There is an attitude for Advent that I think comes out here. An attitude to avoid and an attitude to embrace. And again, I can't, again, church picked this stuff centuries ago, but how incredibly applicable is it for today? Let me go in reverse because I want to finish with the positives and we'll just we'll be done in two minutes. Uh, what do you get with this thing? Jesus says, look, came and played, we played a party song and you wouldn't dance. We sung a funeral dirge and you wouldn't cry. What's he saying? To what can I compare this generation? Never satisfied. I'm just telling you, the end of 2020, I can fall into an attitude of consumerism, bitterness, and complaint. And I'm just telling you, it pops up everywhere. Watch for it. If someone tries something or does something, I can fall into, at the end of a long, hard year, I can fall into criticism. Somebody tries something, does something, ventures out in some way, and I can list the 20 things they did wrong. Jesus says, watch for an attitude that says, I'm never going to be happy, I'm never going to be satisfied, because those are the people that are missing out on what God is doing in the present moment. And isn't it beautiful that Jesus gives us the option? Again, it may be your time to sing a funeral dirge and cry and grieve. It may be your time to dance. But God's going to show up and give you one or the other. Can we embrace it instead of point out all the things that aren't the way we want it to be? That's just me. I think it's a 2020 test. The last thing I say, there was a group of people that got it and a group of people that missed it when God's advent happened here. <laughs> We've said it a thousand times. Who missed it? Who missed it? The religious people and the religious leaders. Why? Very strange thing. I used to use this proof text for baptism because, you know, that's all we talked about. But it is interesting. The people who got it were the ones that were willing to be baptized by John. Why does that matter? Baptism isn't about a little ritual that we check off. It's not about being smarter than the other denominations around. Baptism for me has come down to one word. You know what baptism is? Surrender. It's not our act. It's not our thing. It is, I'm literally going, and God, you're symbolically killing me, and you're bringing me back up. And the group of people that saw the advent of God are the ones that are willing to say, I've got all these expectations, I've got all these thoughts, got all my Bible verses, got it all figured out, but I'm going to surrender all of it and say, whatever you got, God, I'll take it. Surrender made it possible to see the advent of God. If that was true then, I suspect it's true now. And there were tax collectors and sinners that got it because they were willing to surrender. And isn't it beautiful that for me, it's not just once when I come to Christ, but maybe like John, the last moment of my life, one more time I say, you know what? I'm scared, I'm doubting, but I surrender with my whole life and I'm watching, hoping, and expecting you to show up in mighty power again. Can I promise you this at the end of 2020? Please hold on to it. The God who showed up 2,000 years ago in a little baby isn't finished. He's coming back. And everything you hate right now, everything that hurts you right now, everything that cries out inside of you to be different now will be set right 
when the king comes and kings it all. The one who came is coming. Now hear the word of the Lord, not mine, but his. That one still comes right now. In the power of the Holy Spirit, in the back room of a jail cell when you're scared to death, on the streets when you're a tax collector or sinner, in the mighty back rooms of the church offices when you're a leader, that one still comes. Can we as a church collectively surrender so we might see him this Advent? Father, that's our prayer. We surrender to you all over again. Whether you, like John, called us from our very womb, some of us, we celebrated that with Nikki today, grew up in families that taught us to worship from the moment we could talk. And there are others of us that have taken long paths to get to where you have us. Whether it's one path or another, one more time this season, can we join with billions of Christians all around the world saying, we hope, we expect, we know that you will show up, so we surrender to the way that you choose to show up in this season of our lives. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Love you all.